Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Drive in a deep left field by Castellanos. It will be a home run. And so that'll make it a 4 nothing ball game. Welcome to the Batter's Box. My name is Dave Quadrelli. I'm joined by Mike Liu. This is the first episode of the Batter's Box podcast, part of the Nation Network podcast family. We should mention off the top, we're going to introduce ourselves. I'm a hockey journalist, so is Mike. Two hockey journalists who secretly like baseball more than they like hockey, uh, based in Vancouver, so we're we're stuck covering the Canucks, which is probably why we like baseball more than we like hockey. Um, so, Mike Lou, David Quadrelli, first episode of the Batter's Box. Mike, how's it going on this Thursday evening? Going to be out on Friday. Uh, it's going pretty, I mean, pretty smoothly. It's nice being able to watch watch baseball more often than you're watching hockey, especially with what's gone on in this market for the past year. So really excited to be following a sport that doesn't involve constant misery. <laughs> That's exactly what it comes down to, I think. But... There is constant misery depending on which fan base you're a part of, and I think that's a good little segue to introduce ourselves a little bit further uh, and talk about the teams that we are stuck. Uh, well, I wouldn't even say stuck, that we choose. We choose this fate for ourselves. Uh, the teams that you and I root for. So, look, you, you, you go first. You have the honors here because I like your story a lot more than I like mine. This is going to be pretty brutal. I, 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 I realized that... Um, now that I'm thinking about what I just said about watching some brutal hockey, I'm realizing that my Rockies are bottom of the NL West. They're two and eight. Um, they're 26 and 38 doing great. Um, yeah. (laughs) Uh, so as you all probably could tell from that, I am a Colorado's Rockies fan. Um, the story of that is quite, it's a bit weird because you don't expect Vancouver right to be a fan of the Colorado Rockies. However, um, I also used to spend summers in Laramie, Wyoming. And if you don't know anything by, about Wyoming, it's the U.S. least populous state. And I can tell you right now that it's basically five people in the count. That's pretty much the entire population you're looking at. So um, Laramie, Wyoming is like a college, classic college town. It has the campus of the University of Wyoming, and that's pretty much it. So the nearest civilization was four hours away, Denver, Colorado. Uh, that ended up being my first baseball game, and I got to see Jeff Francis, UBC alum, uh, shout out. Uh, he became my favorite player at the time as well, uh, just because I love pitchers. He was Canadian, he played for the Rockies, and unfortunately, little did I know that attending that game uh, would make me uh, attending that game at the biggest bar in Denver. Unfortunately, that's why I'm a Rockies fan, and it's been pretty, pretty rough. <laughs> There's there's a case to be made that if you're trying to find an MLB comparable for the Vancouver Canucks, it's the Colorado Rockies. You're not wrong. That's kind of, <laughs> kind of pisses me off, I'll be honest. Like, they spend. It's not like they don't spend on their team. They have some exciting young players, maybe just enough to get you coming back. You know, Ezekiel Tovar is really good in Colorado. They got some names. They got some guys. They go out and get Randall Grichik. They do all these things. Chris Bryant, they get the big free agent signing. And look, I'm not saying Chris Bryant's Louis Erickson or anything, but... Look, the Rockies continue to disappoint, and that's a good segue into my favorite team because, look, I I always say to people that 
I like every team except for the Boston Red Sox, and even this year, I just feel really bad for Chris Sale, so I, I, I don't even hate the Red Sox. I like Alex Verdugo. I, honestly, there's no team that I really strongly dislike, but the teams that I actively root for are the Padres, the Mariners, and the Blue Jays, okay? So it's basically in that order too, but I want to start in the Padres land because NL West, you just said it, the Rockies <laughs> are at the bottom of the NL West, and that's nothing to laugh at because... The Padres are only three wins ahead of them in the NL West, and it is all bad in the NL West. Like, who who had the Arizona Diamondbacks winning that division? Like, like quite possibly winning that division. I still think the Dodgers are going to take it. That was my pick at the start of the year. I'm, I'm still sticking with my Dodgers. I don't think the Arizona Diamondbacks are going to stick there. But, hey, we're in the almost middle of June, and the Diamondbacks are still playing well. I would have pegged the Diamondbacks as the second place team in, in the NL West at this point of the season. Like they have a solid pitching core, they have some decent pieces. Like yeah, we all remember the the meme lord uh, Diamondbacks when they lost I don't know 20, 26, 25 in a row uh, a couple seasons back. Um, but they're putting it together, and it's surprising that they're actually still on a run of pretty good form. They're eight and two in their last ten. They're yes, they're ahead of uh, they're one point five games ahead of the Dodgers, but credit where credit's due. It's not it's not too bad in Chase Field. You love to see it. You do. You do love to see it. I like to see these teams doing well. And we're going to talk about the Cincinnati Reds because I don't think there's ever been a better time, except for maybe like the Johnny Bench days. I don't think there's okay. ever been a better time to be a Cincinnati Reds fan right now with Ellie De La Cruz and what he's doing there. And Andrew Abbott, Spencer Steer, these young guys that are coming up for them. Not to mention Hunter Green, who's obviously been there for a couple of years. But we're going to talk about the Reds later in the show. I want to go back to the Padres because I gave you a little homework, Mike. I gave you a little bit of homework and I said, this is what I want to talk about on the first episode. So my Padres go out and sign Gary Sanchez. Okay. They were getting no offense from their, their bat catchers this year with uh, Brett Sullivan and Austin Nola. They were just getting absolutely nothing at the dish. And don't get me wrong. Austin Nola is a pretty good defensive catcher. So he, he still has value, right? And I'm not trying to crap on Austin oh, Nola yeah. or even, you know, Sullivan or whoever, right? I'm just saying that they were getting no offense from their catchers and it was bad. So they go out and they sign free agent Gary Sanchez, who could not find an MLB home this year. Expectations are low. Uh, as a Padres fan, I, I had low expectations for Gary Sanchez coming into the Padres lineup. The guy's batting four stick right now, and he has <laughs> been one of their best hitters, not named Juan Soto, who, who Juan Soto, don't forget, started the year pretty slowly, but Juan Soto's really picked it up lately. Aside from like Hassan Kim, who's been electric all year long and honestly is one of my favorite players maybe ever, Gary Sanchez has been the Padres' best hitter. He's got a 286 average through 12 games played so far, four dingers, and a slugging percentage of 686. The guy's got it right now. Like the, like the guy is playing well. He's playing good baseball. And look, I, I love the Padres announcers, but it, it was really funny to hear them saying like, yeah, you know, he's really rediscovering those Yankee days. And so I thought about it a little bit more. I thought about it. And what I came to the conclusion of is Gary Sanchez is one of the worst defensive catchers that I've ever seen. But he's able to stick in the league because even after they try to get rid of him, he comes back and he's riding his hot bat and that's the reason he's in the Padres lineup. There was a play last week where there was a relay to the plate and Gary Sanchez was five feet up the first baseline and nobody talked about it. All that was said was in the game, the announcer said, oh, and the plate of the plate, oh, and nobody's at the plate. And you look at look at the broadcast, and Gary Sanchez is five feet up the first baseline. So yes, he wasn't at the plate, and yes, his framing sucks, and that's not a great trait to have when you're catching the Padres pitching staff, which has been pretty abysmal this year. But Gary <laughs> Sanchez help. continues to stick in the league. So the exercise I brought for us today, Mike is to find the reverse Gary Sanchez in the most extreme form. Find me the best defensive player who was able to stick in the league despite not really being that good with the bat in his hands at the dish, and if you will, in the batter's box. So that was the exercise I gave you. Who did you come up with? All right, so this might not be the most out-of-the-park pick, but I'm going with uh, Phil Rizzuto 
uh, New York Yankee shortstop back uh, back during World War Two, uh, during the World War Two early fifties. Um, he was your classic small ball leadoff hitter, and yes, his batting averages look really really good. The thing is, this guy just bunted. He bunted and ran, and he bunted and ran himself to the Hall of Fame. That was how good his defense was. He was your prototypical. Like this is the this is pro- probably Ozzy Smith before Ozzy Smith happened. But he elevated this Yankees team defense so much in the shortstop position. He added tremendous amounts of value purely because of his defense and his speed. So as the leadoff hitter for the Yankees, he would just get on base. That's why all his batting his batting average and his ba- his batting averages his on base percentages looked insane. But realistically, he wasn't providing many dingers. I mean. In his uh, in his 13-year career, this is going off baseball reference, he only hit 38 home runs. And this guy had over his 6,700 6, 6, play appearances. It's pretty impressive. And this is a career that he spent three years in the United States military uh, as well. So for a guy who basically came into the league, 1941 was his first season, two years, took a break to, to fight in World War II, comes back, picks off without a hitch, and he actually wins the MVP in the 1950 season. So, I mean, I I, I know that it, it was hard to find a guy who was, like, abysmal at batting, but this guy basically had no power and relied in, relied on his legs and relied on great hands in the field. I love that. I love that that's your pick because I also looked at the bunting statistics and I was like, you know what? There's something to be said about a guy who can only bunt. But, hey... I went a different direction. I have two, actually, and one of them is going to be a hot take that pisses off some fans. I'm not going not gonna to give it away just yet, but I'm going to start. My first guy is the second-ranked second all-time defensive war leader behind the aforementioned Ozzie Smith. It's Mark Belanger, or Bel- Bellinger, or however you say it, okay? The guy played <laughs> for... A, a number of years, and he won eight gold gloves over his career. And look, we, we you just brought up another shortstop. This is also a shortstop, and it's so funny that we're talking about shortstops being these guys who can't hit, uh, and you know they're just so good with their glove. Because now we're seeing like Ellie De La Cruz, uh, Jackson Holiday, Anthony Volpe, all these guys who who can do it with the bat, right? Uh, and like you know, obviously Holiday and De La Cruz are the ones that have more power, obviously out of those three that I mentioned, but. Like, you're, you're seeing these shortstops, just these new age shortstops, Tulowitzki, like, all these guys that just have so much pop, and all of these guys on the list of Defensive War, all, most, most of them are shortstops, and the ones that we came up with obviously weren't great with the bat in their hands, so let me just rattle off some Mark Bellinger stats for you, okay? So, you know, 228 career average. He hit 20 career home runs, over 5,784 at-bats, like I said, 8 gold gloves, a 280 slugging percentage on his career, Uh, 1973 to 1978, this guy terrorized the AL as a member of the Baltimore Orioles, He uh, he won 6 straight gold gloves. In those years, so he was unstoppable. Uh, <laughs> he was unstoppable uh, at shortstop. In 1973, he picked up MVP votes while hitting 226 on the year. So hey, I know I know averages were lower as a whole back then, but my goodness, this guy was just all defense. So he's my pick. But my second pick, Mike. This is the one that I'm, it's a hot take, but I'll, I'll explain it because we're looking for the reverse Gary Sanchez, right? And I don't think there's a perfect match. Like, I, I don't think there's someone quite like Gary Sanchez. I I went with Yadier Molina. Now, no way. listen, listen, the guy's a Hall of Famer. The, guy, the guy's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's, he's un, you know, one of the best catchers of all time. One of the best to ever play the position. Just straight up, okay? But hear right. me out. There would have been times, okay... Where he would have been taken out of the St. Louis lineup or would have maybe been out of the league if he wasn't so damn good defensively. Like, even in his later years, he was a really, really good defensive catcher and it always, always made sense for him to stay in the lineup no matter how bad he was 
at the dish. This guy was a 10-time All-Star, 9-time Gold Glover. I, I I think it's safe to say the best defensive catcher of all time. Um, look, he's not the reverse Gary Sanchez because he wasn't you know, completely incompetent at the dish the way it feels like Gary is behind the plate on the defensive side. But he's a catcher, so that helped me in my, my formula here. 22 home runs is Yadier Molina's career high, okay? Like, that that ain't high. The, the guy could hit, but he he didn't have a lot of pop, okay? Gary's got a lot of pop. Now, I, <laughs> I'm looking for the reverse Gary Sanchez, so I'm going to go with Yadier Molina as my sleeper pick. I think there's an argument to be made. I'm not willing to do it for more than three minutes. That's a sizzling hot take for a guy. <laughs> and you mentioned that he had 22 home runs. That season, he had a 501 slugging percentage. Picked up and finished fourth in MVP voting as well. I, I can see where you're coming from with this, but then... <sighs> The catcher position is also one that you don't really expect a lot of offense from. It's very rare. Like these days, we have like Sean, we have like Sean Murphy, we have for Wilson Contreras, Salvi Perez, um, two seasons, three seasons ago. Gary um, Sanchez. Gary Sanchez. Yeah, it's very. It, it has, but like we haven't had this many good catchers offensively um, in a long, long time. Like for the longest time, a catcher was just like, oh. This is your battery uh, with your best pitcher. Whichever catcher makes the most sense behind the plate, you put in. If they give you some offense, great. It's just a bonus. Uh, with that context, I think Yadier Molina was already ahead of the curve in terms of offense provided by a catcher. I just feel relative to what he was working with, especially in the mid-2000s, the early 2010s. That made sense. His numbers were probably one of the better, some of the better numbers from uh, catchers back in the day. Now, if we're looking at it from like a 2023 point of view, absolutely his numbers don't look the greatest. But in that era, I think he was still a very good offensive catcher. Yeah, like I said, I'm not willing to not willing to back this up for more than three minutes. I think you you, you just basically hit the nail on the head. He's he was he was look he's one of the best catchers of all time. Probably not the it's best example. Say. I'm just saying he was so get, good behind it. the plate and Gary so bad behind the plate. They're both catchers, relatively close era. There was some overlap there within the years they played, right? So look. I, like I said, not willing to back this up for more than about three minutes. That's what uh, that's what I'm thinking, though, is Yadier Molina is my sleeper, sleeper pick. He's not my number hey. one pick. I'm still sticking with my boy, Mark Bellinger. <laughs> I mean, he was so good that he basically became the Cardinals player manager. I mean, you're seeing the effects of his retirement this season. There's nobody to call the shots behind the plate anymore. Yeah. Yeah, you, you know what? You don't even think of that. And that's a good segue because we're, we're not going to have too many set segments on this show. But one that we did want to do was just looking at the teams of the week. And honestly, folks, we might go twice a week. We might go twice a week. We're not sure yet. But the teams of the week that are hot and those who are just not right now. And I'm going to start it off, Mike. I'm going to start with the Mets. I know you were out tonight. I'm not sure if you caught up or saw what happened in the game tonight between the New York Mets and the Atlanta Braves, the first in the NL East Atlanta Braves. I'm not sure if you saw what happened in that game, but I'll paint a picture for you. So they get to Spencer Strider early. One of the best pitchers in the game they get to him early they score eight runs off him you know he still had eight strikeouts uh in four innings pitched quite incredible line for spencer strider despite the eight earned runs against the most he's given up this year by the way folks they get to him early they get to the pen and that should be a recipe for success they blow the lead and keep in mind this is the final game of their three-game series with the Atlanta Braves. They blow a lead for the third game in a row. The third game in a row against the Atlanta Braves. They blow the lead, end up getting swept in extra innings, punctuated by Ozzie Albies' three-run walk-off moonshot dagger tonight, right into the hearts of the New York Mets and their fans, who now the Mets have six straight losses mike and like i said 
three of those were blown leads. And, you know, I'm using that term generously. Some of them were leads that they had in, like, the third inning and lost at that point. But if you're on the Atlanta side, they're advertising it as three comeback wins to complete the sweep. And that's what happened. Those damn Mets just cannot get it done. Buck Showalter post game saying he's proud of his boys because they got to Spencer Strider early. If a no, manager saying that, if a manager saying that, that to me, that's a cry for help to management to please get me some bullpen arms, get me some pitching. I, I, this is okay. You say that. The Rockies are a good mirror of the Canucks and MLB. What about the Mets? You have Cohen just throwing money at players and hoping that it works. Like you spent, you spend so much on Verlander, so much on, um, uh, so much on Scherzer. Both of them have done. I mean, Scherzer had a rough start. He's picking to back up. Verlander has been, eh, and you have everything else around it. Like Pete Alonso, one of the best, one of, one of the best offensive, uh, one of these best bats at the first base position. I, this, the Mets are a giant social experiment designed to test how much people can endure without going insane. That's what I believe because they have just been tugging. They have been tugging at their uh, crowd's heartstrings this entire season. A crappy start. And they bounce back. Like, they're looking like a good baseball team. And then this stuff just keeps happening. You got injuries. You got uh, you got blown leads. This, I don't know how you can be a Mets fan. Like, being a rock, uh, being a bottom feeder fan, like, you're kind of a bottom feeder or mid, middle mediocre team. You're kind of like, eh, that makes sense. But this is a team that has one of the highest payrolls in the entire MLB. And they're doing stuff like this. And you just sit, and you sit back and you look. It's like... What are we doing here? Sticking with the Mets, is it kind of crazy to you to think that about a week or two ago, we may have been having a conversation on this very podcast about how there could potentially be two 60 home run hitters this season with Aaron Judge and Pete Alonso, and now it's both true. of them, both of them are on the shelf. I don't think I don't think anybody touches. Maybe even 50 this year. Like, I I don't know if... I, I don't... I definitely know 60's not getting touched. I, I don't Absolutely know if we're not. even going to have someone hit 50 home runs this year with Alonzo. Alonzo's getting imaging on his wrist. We don't know, you know, the severity of that when he got hit by pitch on the wrist uh, in that game against the Braves. Judge on the shelf with his big toe injury because he ran through a wall for his team, <laughs> quite literally. I... I don't think we're going to see someone hit 60 or 50 this year. I don't think we're going to see anybody hit 50. I don't think Muncy's going to do it. He's in third with 18. I don't think Matt Olson's going to do it with 17. I definitely don't think Solaire in Miami's going to do it. Oh, like, God. Sort of talk, like, about, talk about fallers, hey? Oh, my gosh. You, you go down this list and you just see guys who either had a really hot start and probably aren't going to keep it up. Like, like, like a prime example, like J.D. Martinez, right? Red Sox let him go. I, 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 I could talk. We're probably going to spend an episode talking about the Red Sox offseason de- decisions because that felt like a Canucks offseason, like in their own God. right. You know what I mean? Like go of all yeah. your trusted guys because you like these other free agents and you go, Trevor Story, Chris Sale. Uh, you know, we, we want all the guys. Justin Turner. They go out and get these guys and, oh, okay, well, that didn't work out. Michael Walker's pitching his ass off for the Padres right now. Like I said, J.D. <laughs> Martinez quietly having one of the best seasons of his career with the Dodgers like you didn't need to get rid of these guys and I look we'll we'll spend a lot more time talking about the Boston Red Sox but back to the home run conversation I don't think anybody hits 50 this year no Uh, you look at all the power hitters historically that are having like absolutely awful awful season I mean Vladdy's doing his best but he's definitely not on pace um Salvi's like in the basement right now uh, who else? Sean Murphy had like a good stretch where he was like hit it. He looked like he was on pace, but now definitely is cooled off and is hot and cold. Uh, who else am I missing? Um, Acuna maybe, but I don't see him like top at sixty. I'll be honest with as hot as he has been, I don't see him being that like uh, that big raker at least for the uh, big six zero. No, yeah, I don't like, think so. It's there's not a lot of there's not a lot of players you you can think of that 
have the power, have the potential to achieve it, and are also on pace to achieve it because those are two very different things this season. Who does Brent Rooker get thus get traded to oh at the deadline? God. That's gonna be my. <laughs> that's gonna be the best. Is, is watching Brent Rooker, who for those that don't know, uh, <laughs> Oakland Athletics left fielder, just. You know, a diamond among shit, and that's no dis. Well, I guess it is disrespect well, hey. to the Oakland A's players, but hey, that roster, like they they've put together like a triple A lineup, and that might even be generous to some extent. <laughs> Brent Rooker's gonna get traded at the deadline, and it is going to be glorious to see him go to you know uh, the Yankees, the Cardinals, some team just loading up. Hey, maybe the Jays could use them. Any team like loading up, and they just add this bat to their lineup. I am gonna love seeing that. I will toss in that Rooker has been pretty darn cold this last month. Like, he's fallen off quite significantly. Obviously, you don't expect him to continue that at his first month pace, but um, he he's starting to show the fact that he is trying to shoulder the entire Oakland A's uh, offense on his, shoulder, on his shoulders, and it's not pretty. It's not pretty. No, and like that that's going to weigh on a guy, right? And the other oh, thing sure. with this home run conversation that I want to make sure we make clear is, you know, everybody points out paces and stuff like that. We see it every year. Guys get pitched differently in April, May, <laughs> June than they do in, you know, July, September, August. I don't know why I put those out of order, but especially September. Like, those games really matter. You, We saw the Jays, for example, is a really good example. Do you remember that series they had toward the end of last year when Aaron Judge was chasing the yep. record? He was chasing the home run record, and the Jays just kept walking him, and people were mad. It's like... You know what? The Jays don't give a crap about the record. They are trying not to lose this baseball game, and the best way to do that is not putting meatballs down the plate or giving anything remotely close to the strike zone to the best hitter we have seen in years. Judge was amazing last year. There's a reason he broke that record, because he was really fucking good. So don't pitch to a guy like that, and that's the mindset the teams are going to have. Again, and uh, there's going to be the same people on Twitter surprised about it. Oh, why? this is so bad for the game. Same people surprised about it. Don't be surprised, folks. Guys get pitched differently later in the season than they do to start the year. You play the win the game. I don't know why people are getting all pissy about not pitching to the bat- the best batter. The hottest batter the league's seen since Barry Bonds. Like, dude. You're trying to you're trying to fucking win. Are you really going to take the risk of the hottest hitter plowing one on you? It doesn't make any sense. So I mean, it, it, it's just it's stupid reasoning. The logic doesn't make sense, and you know, you you do what you need to do to win the game. Like it doesn't have to be pretty. We see that all the time, and you just got you just got to execute. That's it. Um, I'm going down the list a little bit more. Texas, okay, I, I want to throw out Texas as a potential team that can potentially maybe maybe have a 60 home run, uh, maybe a 60 home run hitter. I know Adolis Garcia, he's the only one up there with 15 home runs in 60, uh, 60 games, but this is one of the leagues, uh, this is one of the league's best offenses, and with that many weapons, maybe there's a chance um, one of the Texans can actually figure it out. Or uh, Texans? What? The Rangers? What? what? <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, who on that team? Like, Semyon's got nine. Semyon's on a on a hot streak right now. Like, Semyon yeah. is playing some of his best baseball. But and Semyon, you know, Semyon for the most part always kind of starts cold. He always starts cold, and for the always. most part, he's always freezing. Always freezing cold to start the year. I don't know, like, Josh Jung's got 12, like you said, Garcia's got 15, I don't know, I don't, I don't think that's the team to do it, man, like, I, I know they've got the offense, I just, I don't know, like, I, I don't think Garcia's even gonna lead the NL by the time oh, I, the season's over. For sure, I'm just tossing it out as, like, a possibility, I highly doubt anybody, like, besides Alonso and Judge, there's probably nobody else that is capable of reaching that ceiling, but, again... Who knows? We, we don't... It's still June. There's still so many more months to be played in the season. Okay. Luis Arias. Have to talk about him. 
hitting 403 oh. right now. The guy <laughs> has more multi-hit games than he does career strikeouts. It's unbelievable what we're seeing from Arias uh, in Miami. I'm going to go see him on Monday, actually. I'm heading down to Seattle, watch uh, Logan Gilbert start against the Marlins. It's going to be a good one to see. But my question for you, and, and I, I think it kind of you have to bring in the part of the conversation that I brought up about getting pitched differently the later the season goes on. People are talking like, oh, is he going to hit over 400? Is he going to be a super, super rare hitter that's able to finish the year with an average above 400? No. Those are road to the show numbers. Like, I don't think that's, I just don't think that's possible in the big leagues. I don't think it's possible. That, I, I highly doubt that he's able to keep this up. Like, again, like you mentioned, these are video game numbers. It's not, it's not really feasible to expect a guy to hit over 400, like a batting average of over 400 is in, incredible in this day and age. And I, I just don't see it. And especially with Miami's lineup, uh, obviously they still have, obviously they have Soler who had a good start, but he's falling off still. Um, other than him, I, I just don't, I don't see him being able to maintain it because they're going to start pitching, they're going to start pitching around him. And the, the players, the players that the Marlins have, they're good. It's not. I, I bet other teams are willing to take the, the risk that uh, make the other players hurt them versus uh, versus Arias, and his numbers are going. His numbers are going to plummet. I, he's going to have a cold streak. There's no way that it's going to sustain this level. If it does, fair play. I just don't see it. Five game hitting streak for him right now. Twenty one at bats. Four. 14 hits through 21 at-bats, 14 hits through five games. Guys are stoked if they have five hits over five games. Like we said, video game numbers, ridiculous what we're seeing from him right now. And hey, like, you know, I brought up the streak. You don't get a 400 average because you had five good games. This has been all season. This has been all season long. Maybe not to this extent, but... This guy has been raking all season long. He has been he has been the best contact hitter in the league, and there's really no debate about it. For sure, but then you have your second best hitter is Brian De La Cruz right now. Uh, I think that teams would rather Walker as face De La Cruz if he if he hits and like. I know De La Cruz is good. He's been producing very at a very respectable clip. He's getting on base. He's getting hits. He's getting home runs. But I think teams would much rather him hurt you versus throwing at Arias. That's just my opinion. Oh, you're you're absolutely right. And I say this as a Brian De La Cruz fantasy owner in the keeper league that I'm in. <laughs> so I look, I, I you're absolutely right. Marlins have won six straight. Like we said, they roll into Seattle after a series with the White Sox. Uh, we'll, we'll have an episode next week. I'll, next time people hear from us, I'll have been to that series, watched Logan Gilbert dice him up. Uh, it'll be a good one, I think. So my question, or, Mike. Or, okay, Lo- I wanna... or Logan Gilbert gets absolutely eaten alive. One of the two. Oh, it's, it's, it's been painful. I'm, I'm not going to get into that right now. My, my question for you, the AL Central. Uh, it looked like the Twins were going to run away with that division. It's the worst division in pro sports, not just baseball. It's just the, a joke of a division. Uh, Minnesota Twins currently have a one-and-a-half game lead over the Cleveland Guardians, three-and-a-half over both the White Sox and the Tigers joke of a division every team in the division now even the first place twins now have a losing record like they are all below 500 so i'm gonna ask you out of the four teams because the royals are out of it the royals are almost as bad as the a's i said almost who is the team that comes out of the al central by the end of the year because my pick is the white Sox. i'm going with the white Sox. no way you got who do you have coming to the al central i'll explain why after I think, hmm, I think it's gotta be Cleveland. I like the Minnesota T's aren't like you gotta you can't call them twins because they don't win, and there's no plural. Um, that five game losing streak they got swept by the Rays, and yes, the Rays are a very good team. But Minnesota, what what is this? You're only adding to what is quickly amounting to be an absolute absolute shit show of an off season, absolute shit show. Oh, a season. They're just lucky that the AL Central is this bad. I'm picking Cleveland. I think they have they have the tools. 
the, they have the tools to make a run, uh, and I don't see why they can't be on top of the AL Central um, come the end of the season. I'm going with the White Sox, and my reasoning is largely based on the return of Liam Hendricks and him looking like he didn't miss a beat after beating cancer. I, I, I'm i rocking with the White Sox here. Not only do they have that kind of, you know, rallying thing, thing to bring them together, and everybody loves Hendricks on that team. Everybody in that organization loves Hendricks. Like, you hear stories about Liam Hendricks, uh, you know, like being just a gem of a human being to everybody that he comes across. And I know he has that angry guy persona on the mound, but you hear stories about Liam Hendricks and he is just, he's a good dude. And he's somebody that everybody on that team really rallies around. So the fact that they got him back, not to mention that Kendall Graveman's been been fine in the closer role. Like today they played the Yankees uh, on Thursday, the first game of the doubleheader. And they were protecting a 6-5 to five lead, and they threw in Graveman. Like, they didn't feel like they had to go to Hendricks, who got his first save of the year the night prior uh, against those same Yankees. Like, look, man, beating the Yankees ain't easy. It's never easy to do in any given year. And look, they just did it. They just did it twice. They take the series. I I really like the, um, the, the White Sox to come out of the AL Central. Like, I, I think they're going to do it, man. They've got Jake Berger who is going to be awesome. And yes, I'm not sure if you saw it today. Berger did bat against King. So on the screen, it did say Burger King, which was King, awesome oh to Lord. see. <laughs> now, the rotation, Dylan Cease has greatly underperformed. Mike Clevenger hasn't been electric. You're looking at this, Lucas Giolito, you know, all these guys that they have in their rotation. Um, and you're thinking, okay, there's more. Like that, that's a good big league rotation. Like you know, you've you've got Lance Lynn, you've got Mike Michael Kopech, you've got these guys. And then when you look at the lineup, like Tim Anderson, like I said, Jake Berger, Andrew Vaughn. Um, you know, no disrespect to anybody I'm missing, but you've got like those guys and Luis Robert Jr. Those guys are good. Like those are good big league hitters. And if if they can. If they can continue what I've seen from them over the last week, 6-4 and four in their last 10, series win against the Yankees, like I said, haven't been easy wins, I I think I think we're going to see the White Sox come out of that division. Because what I want you to remember is they had such an abysmal start to the year, and thankfully because the AL Central is so bad, they're right there. Like, they're right there. I think they're going to get it done. I can see where you're coming from, and I will 100% agree the White Sox have some very good players who have not lived up to anything, uh, who have not lived up to their billing. Like, Tim Anderson has not looked like the all-stars, the all-star shortstop that we know he can be. Yuzwani Grandal looks like age is starting to catch up to him for whatever reason. It just not looked the same. Um, and their lineup is a potent one when it's working. And we didn't see it working at the start. It's starting to fire back to life. But my thing is, is that I think that some of the pitching staff is overperforming. Michael Kopech, mm. um, his numbers are kind of insane right now. Uh, in his last seven days, he has a 2.57 ERA. Uh, he's been average. He's had, let's see, like his strikeout rate has gone way up this season. And I, I know that he had like a history of being a pretty solid starting pitcher, but this is this is borderline Sayan, like. He's averaging he's averaging upwards of um, nine strike nine strikeouts per game uh, in his last four starts. He had nine nine strikeouts against Detroit, ten against the Angels, nine against Cleveland, ten against the Royals. Like those are kind of crazy. And keep in mind those ten strikeouts against the Angels that was a four point one innings pitch. I just don't see him being able to sustain it. And I know I'm taking it. I'm taking one player as an example, but it sort of feels like this team is riding the highs way too much, and it feels like they won't be able to sustain this. Even like there's going to be players that get hot, but then those hot players that they were riding on before, they're going to get cold, and the inconsistency won't really balance each other out. Now, the reason why I think Cleveland comes out is because. Nobody's really performed, and they're due for poor. They they're due to have a good performance. Like Jose Ramirez has not had the season that we thought that he would have. He has nine home runs, batting uh, two sixty seven. He has thirty six RBIs uh, and eight oh seven OPS. Like this is not the best third baseman 
in MLB in the MLB. He he just simply isn't right now. I I don't see him be I don't see him being this bad. I don't see the rest of the team being this bad. Uh, I, I don't see the rest of the Guardians being this bad. They have Tristan McKenzie back now. Um, Tanner Bibby, the rookie, still looking solid. And Shane Bieber is underperforming. Like I just see a roster of underperformers that shouldn't be underperforming for this long, and it's consistent throughout their lineup. I think they all turn it around at the right time, and I don't think the White Sox are able to get that collective effort. I'll tell you what, more three homer games from Jose Ramirez definitely is going to propel those Guardians to top of the uh, AL Central. Like like Absolutely. three homers for him today, and we just talked about how he's been underperforming this year. If that's your sign that he's turning around, which it very well might be, yeah, it's hard to disagree with you. Like, it is hard to disagree with you. I'm still rocking <laughs> with the White Sox. I'm thinking we might have to have our first bet in Batters Box history uh, where we, we bet a jersey bet. Uh, I'll get a oh. Liam Hendricks, City Connect, uh, City Connect jersey if the White Sox win, and you get uh, Stephen Kwan or whoever it is from the Guardians that you want. Hey, did you uh, pick Stephen Kwan for a reason there? I love Stephen Kwan. He's on my Keeper He's League amazing. team. That's why. <laughs> I love, I love my Steven Kwan. Oh Dude just steals bags. And, it, yeah, he, he's fun to watch. He's one of those players that you just, you, you, you see him up to the plate, and you're like, all right, let's see what he does here. <laughs> like, he's probably not going to bomb, but he, he might, like, leg out a double from something that should have been a single. So, I like Steven Kwan. Steven Kwan's one of my favorite players. Okay, so good. let's move on here. Uh, Ellie De La Cruz is taking the not only the National League, the MLB by storm this guy can rake mike and we saw it in his first game he gets the single three hits through his first three games nearly hits for the freaking cycle on his second mlb game the guy is very very good he can rake the exit velos are ridiculously high as we thought they would be the guy and i want to quickly read this out because this 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 is something i really really like is he had a game in the minors where he hit three balls over 115 miles per hour, which no team, since this data has been tracked, no team has ever done that. Like, a team has never, in one game, hit three balls over 115 miles per hour, and this dude did it himself with three hits in one game, all over 115 miles per hour. The dude has ridiculous pop. We're seeing it. He hits his first career home run into the farthest part of the yard. Nearly, and this would have been funny, nearly hits it out of the park completely. And nobody would have been able to catch it. Um, just just absolutely ridiculous what we're seeing from Ellie De La Cruz uh, early on in his young career. To put into context how much pop he has... Uh, I saw this stat off of Codify Baseball on Twitter uh, Twitter this morning, but Ellie De La Cruz's homer uh, from last night, it got 143 feet uh, off the ground, and apparently the Raider at CBG Airport picked it up. That's how high it got. Yes, I heard this. I, I did see that. That's right. I did see that. That is ridiculous. He's putting these balls into the stratosphere. And and then the MLB stats guys, they tracked his home to third time to, at 10.83 seconds. It's not just pop. He's got the legs to back it up, too. It's the fast, that was the fastest time in baseball this season. And this is a league that includes Corbin Carroll, the fastest base runner uh, in the league so far. That's that's ridiculous. Like the dude is is a giant. What is he six four or six six? He's one of the two. One of the, I mean both at that point it blends together. Yeah, he he's a giant is what I'm trying to say. And there was a lot of people. I like I saw it on Twitter. The reaction was, wait, he can run too? Like like that triple any <laughs> leg note. That's a double. That's a double for most people with his power and of his stature. But his stride length is just phenomenal. Like, you're watching him around the bases. Guy runs like a deer. It's unbelievable to see him get going uh, on the bases. He's one of the best things in baseball right now. Uh, Going to be really, really fun to follow along with his career. I, I, I'm i really happy for the Reds. I'm really happy for Reds fans, man. Like, like that's what it always comes down to for me is just... Like, the fans of these teams have usually been through so much, and 
for them to finally have something like like the day that the A's and granted it probably won't be in Oakland the A's like make the World Series or the A's do really well it's always a good day like like we like seeing the A's win we like seeing the underdog nobody wants to see the Yankees win nobody wants to see the Jays win uh, the Dodgers all this stuff and I like those teams I like a lot of those teams that I just said nobody wants to see win you root for the underdog you root for the little guy you root for the Chicago White Sox you root for uh, you root for the teams like the Miami Marlins and of course the Cincinnati Reds. I, I just, I love Ellie De La Cruz. I think he's great for the game and you heard it here first folks. Maybe not first, but Jackson holiday. He's another one. One of these new era shortstops that just have so much pop and are just five tool superstars at the MLB level. We're going to see it. We're going to see two of them back to back years. We're going to see Jackson holiday next year. You see an Ellie De La Cruz this year. Is it enough? Like, he he makes his debut in June. Is it enough to win an NL Rookie of the Year, Mike? I think so. I mean, we've seen a lot of rookies come up this season. Oh, well, we'll probably have to discuss, like, the rash of injuries that's been plaguing, like, plaguing every single... It's not just one team, it's every single team. I think there's a good shot of winning an NL Rookie of the Year. And honestly... I don't think there's a more deserving fan base than Cincinnati's to get these types of players. I mean, you know what they've been through. You know how their owner is like, their owner is not exactly, their owner history has been spotty. It's a rabid fan base. It's a small market team that you always just want to pull for. And they have such a good crop of players that you just want to see them stick together. You don't see that in a small market team. Like the cards had that and look at where they are now, right? Yeah, exactly. And look, like like you look at who he's going up against. Obviously, James Altman's probably the favorite, I would say. Like this this early into the year, I think Cano is someone that you have to keep an eye on. Yenier Cano uh, in yeah. Baltimore, you have to keep an eye on. Hunter Brown, obviously. But those are in the AL. Like we're talking NL Rookie of the Year. I think it's Altman okay. versus Dela Cruz. I think that's what it comes down to already. Like I think that's what you're looking at is... Dela Cruz versus Outman. I think that's what it's going to ultimately come down to. And that and that's kind of crazy to think about, considering, like, I don't think he was ranked that highly by MLB's internal prospect ranking system that high. I think, what, like, um, in the teens somewhere? Uh, I don't he, think he was. He rose. By the time yeah. he got called up, he was ranked number four, but he rose a lot. And this, of course, this isn't to disrespect Corbin Carroll or Francisco Alvarez, who are obviously also going to be in, not to mention Kodai Senga, who does have eligibility, right? So you you can't forget him either. Um, You know, I I kind of, you know, you know, bastardized it a little bit when I said it was James Altman versus Ellie De La Cruz. (laughs) I think that's ultimately who it's going to be toward the end of the year. But Corbin Carroll's having himself a great year as well. And Francisco Alvarez also starting to really figure it out behind the plate, starting to see that average rise, starting to hit some bombs. I think he hit his 10th tonight. Um, So look, there's no real winner here just yet but i i still think if dela cruz i know it's only been three games folks if dela cruz can keep this up i i think it's his his award to lose uh, dela cruz just needs to keep playing his game i it's clearly working for him he's got the power he's got the leg um i mean defense wise we'll see right like he hasn't had really had any like dicey situations to handle but Obviously, being playing shortstop, playing third base uh, at, um, at at the minor league level, it shows some kind of trust in his um, defensive fielding capabilities. So, I I, I I know that's not make or break. His selling point is always going to be offense. Um, probably always going to be offense. But I just wanted he is he. I just want to see a very well-rounded kid like develop into what fully he could be. Right? It, it'd be really sick to see him achieve excellence not just at the plate but also uh, also defensively for the reds and that's kind of the knock on him right like there's not many he he does yeah project as a five tool superstar and one of those things he's going to be good at is defense but that's like the knock on him right And, and it's funny because for all of the accolades that a lot of these players get a lot of the things that they need to learn is just the speed of the game, right? And not just the speed of the pitches coming at you, but when you're in the big leagues, 
everything happens faster. Not to mention there's a pitch clock now, but everything <laughs> happens faster. Everything happens faster when you move up at any level. Like, you know, it's evident any any level of baseball you play, and I know the difference between t-ball to slow pitch or whatever it is you move up to, tadpole, that's that type of stuff. I know that's a little different than AAA to the MLB, but... That's the thing, when you talk to big leaguers and you hear them talk about the biggest differences between the MLB, is the game moves fast, right? And that's ultimately what a lot of these organizations are looking at for prospects. Ethan Salas, 16-year-old, he just turned 17, prospect with the San Diego Padres, makes his professional debut at 16 years old behind the dish. Phenomenal, crazy. phenomenal start, and it's something. It's a name you want to keep an eye on because you're looking at it. And he's like, okay, well, he's already in single A, so where does he project? Like, like when is this kid making his MLB debut? Is he going to be 19? Are we going to see a, a Juan Soto type thing, a Bryce Harper, where these guys make their debut so so young? And for Ethan Salas, guys in high school, like he's he's supposed to be like he's 16 years old making his pro pro ball debut and not looking out of place, Mike. Like that's the thing is. When you're when you're an organization and you're looking at your prospects and you're trying to decide, okay, is it time for them to move up to the next level? Uh, what do they need to work on? When a kid's that young, or just when they move up to any level, okay, how do they react to the speed of the game? Right, like like defensively, especially for a catcher, are are, are they a deer in the headlights at the plate? Are they a deer in the headlights? Like. Are they really struggling to think the game on the level that pro ball players do? Not to mention big leaguers. And I think that's the test for Ellie De La Cruz right now, Mike, is that he's got to start thinking the game like a big leaguer. And on the defensive side, he's got to be ready. Like, he's got to be ready for that. Now, I don't know how much I how much stock I put in defensive play into the NL Rookie of the Year, but ultimately... That's what's going to keep him sticking with the Reds if his bat goes quiet, right? Like, if your bat goes quiet, you need to be able to bring something to the team, right? So everybody goes through stretches. It's baseball. There's slumps. There's hot streaks. We all know that. Very happy to see L.A. De La Cruz get off to a very, very hot start to his career. But that's the part of his game that you're obviously going to want to see develop. I don't think there's a better partner for him to play with than Jonathan India in the infield as well. Like, you talk about reliable. You talk about a good glove. Um, having that guy on the second base to like calm, calm your nerves as a rookie, honestly, perfect. It's perfect match. And I just want to bring up Salas again. I mean, think about the maturity and poise that most, most catchers have. And you think about this kid at 16 years old behind the plate at a pro game. That is absurd. Imagine how much experience he's going to accumulate by the time he's marinated and ready to come up to the big leagues. A 19 year old catcher with three years of pro experience. Let's just say hypothetically. Where else are you going to get that? That is probably the hottest commodity in the MLB. Let's be real. And the thing is, like, when when they... I, I read about it, I watched some stuff. When the Padres were talking about what they like about this player, it was like, it wasn't like, yeah, he hits, he hits so well, which he does. It was, yeah, he's so mature behind the plate, like his game management is really good. Dude, at 16, I couldn't decide anything. Like, I couldn't decide what I was going to eat for lunch or what I was going to order on Skip the Dishes. This dude's behind the plate throwing down hand signs and getting the, getting the pitchers to throw the correct pitches. Like, this guy's calling games at, in pro ball at 16 years old. Yes, I know he's 17 now. But this guy, and I know he's also DH'd for the most part, so I'm really hyping it up. But... They really like his game management, and that would be, if you asked me, and just blindly, what I think this kid would need to work on, okay, well, he's a 16-year-old, he gets a double in his first game, you know, he's hitting well, so I'm gonna guess he probably needs to work on the defensive side of his game. No, they really like the defensive side of his game, and they're like, yeah, his game management is really good. And look, game management, you just said it with the hot commodity uh, of a catcher in this league, game management really matters like it really really matters because if you don't know how to do game management well you turn into Gary Sanchez and you have to hit away your problems and eventually you're out of the league and needing a second chance where look let's be honest here as much as we love Gary Sanchez on this show and I love Gary Sanchez don't get me wrong the guy's one cold streak away from being out of the league again right like like let's be honest here that's what it's going to come down to um I'm super happy for Gary Sanchez don't get me wrong but no team is going to, like I just said, if your back goes cold, no team, especially the Padres, 
are going to say, you know what, yeah, it's fine if you have a cold bat and you can't play defense. They've already got two guys like that. They've got Austin Nola sitting on the bench right now. If Gary Sanchez's <laughs> bat goes cold, they can put in Austin Nola, get similar production at the plate, and get much, much better defense behind the plate. 100%. Like, Gary Sanchez is your, your reverse utility player, the one that brings all the offense and legit nothing else. Uh, he's, one, he's one cold streak away from being out of league, and I honestly feel that at this point, he should be looking into um, he should be looking into alternative alternative leagues to be playing in. Um, if I were him and want to keep playing professional baseball, I also wanted to touch on the fact that Salas Sal right now, and this is probably going to suck for your Blue Jays side, but he's playing he's playing at a higher level than Alec Manoa right now. <laughs> a 16 year old is playing at a higher level than someone who got cyan votes last season. Do you want to talk about this? Do you want to talk about Alec Manoa? We got some time. Let's tr let's try to push it to an hour. We got. We have to. We have to. There's no way we can't talk about this. You do have to talk about Alec Manoa, and it's so funny because the joke I was making with all my buddies and stuff when this happened was I was saying, yeah, I hope he gets called up soon so that we can go watch him with the Vancouver Canadians, who are obviously the high <laughs> A affiliate of the Jays. But people just blown away to see him go down to rookie ball like the dude's facing like college players now now granted i do want to also mention i think part of this had to do with if he goes down to triple a and gets rattled or he goes down to double a and gets rattled you're really 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 risking this player's long-term future as a big leaguer if he goes down to this league and hardly even faces live hitters, if you think about it, right? And he's close to his home in Florida. I, I, I think a part of this is just to give him a bit of a, like, a mental reset. I don't look at it as a Blue Jays being like, you're so bad, you're going to the lowest level possible. It's a, hey, your next call-up is going to be back to the big leagues, or it's going to be to like AAA to get a few starts in. But I don't, I don't look at this as, as badly as everybody else did. But I do think the Blue Jays were, to some extent being conscious of the fact that this guy might actually get tagged if he goes down to AAA or if he goes down to AA. And I think they were definitely conscious of that and the long-term ramifications that that could have. Not to mention if he gets tagged in rookie ball, then I don't even know what to tell you. Dude, it's going to... Everyone's already memeing on him. Like, we had the start of the year with the whole Yankee shit. Um, and every, he's basically become the butt of so many jokes because of it. And if you see him giving up hits... Uh, at a lower level, it's that that's like Ricky Romero level uh, type stuff. Um, he's getting sent down to the pitch lab down in um, done, uh, like he's getting sent down there for good reason, and they're probably going to work on things with him. But the biggest thing, and I I, I feel like this is just banging on a, a banging on a like beating drum, like he's still beating on the dead horse. But the pitch clock, it's not even so much preparation. This guy needs to be more conditioned. Like, it's not even about losing weight. It's not even about any of that. He just needs to be more conditioned. He's throwing more pitches within a contracted amount of time than he ever did. Like, the, for, in the same amount of time that it took him to throw three pitches last season, he's throwing five pitches this season. I don't know where I read this. Um, it's some, just something, uh, something that I, I saw, and it was really interesting because he isn't able to have the time to reset to clear to clear his lungs to be able to like much less mentally reset physically reset and i think it's building up on him and his velo on everything is dropped so taking him away from the big leagues is probably good that way they can just bring everything up to speed with the pitch clock we, he isn't alone uh with the pitch clock stroke we think we've seen corbin burns struggle uh cy young winner last year it, it, it's not uncommon, especially with the implement, implementation of a new new rule and new device. So it's not. It's, I agree. It's not a bad thing. It's just really fucking funny. <laughs> yeah, I think it is, and I, I don't think there's anybody in the league that hates the pitch clock more than Alec Manoa does because you, you just said it. Like it's making him rush. You're seeing all these problems that he's having, and I just want to point out that Manoa's career started to take a turn for the worse when he yelled at Bobby Dahlbeck, who by all accounts is like Fuck. the nicest guy in the league. <laughs> He's like screaming at Bobby Dahlbeck. Poor Dobby, Bobby, Bobby Dahlbeck. What did he ever do? And the other one, Cal Raleigh. Cal Raleigh hit that bomb against him in the wildcard series, and it's it's been downhill ever since. It's, it's all the Mariners' fault if you really think about it. 
Yeah, I, I mean, that the Mariners would definitely, gladly, gladly the Mariners would take that crown. Okay, we're going to close out the show, but before we do that, I, I, I don't know if we'll do this every week or every show. I'm not sure when, how often we'll do it. Maybe we'll do it once a month, but I think we'll do it for the first time right now. Give me your winners of every division in baseball. We already talked about the AL Central. I don't want to hear your reasoning. Just give me your winners. Take some time. Write it down if you have to. I'm going to write down mine. We're going to revisit it every month. We're going to see if we want to change. All that sort of stuff. We'll see how it goes. I'm going to give you my winner first, and then you go ahead. So AL East. I'll start in the AL, and I'll move from East to West. Tampa Bay Rays in the AL East. AL Central. I said it. Chicago White Sox. AL West. I think the Houston Astros come back, and they take back that lead that they had over the Texas Rangers. I think it's the Houston Astros that come out of the AL West. I think they're just too good not to. NL East, Braves, easy. In the NL Central, I want to say Cincinnati Reds because I think that would be funny as hell. The St. Louis Cardinals are in last place in the NL Central right now, but they're only eight games back. They are my sleeper pick. But I'm not bold enough to say that the St. Louis Cardinals are going to load up and that they're going to come back and storm back in the NL Central. I'm going to stick with the Milwaukee Brewers. Pittsburgh Pirates really made me think about that, but I'm going to stick with the Brewers there. NL West, I think it's the Dodgers that come out of the NL West. So give me your picks. Okay. NL East, I'm also going with the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, what else? Is, what else is there to say? They keep finding stuff like that. Um, I told you, Ale Central. I have Cleveland. Ale West. This is gonna be a lot of voodoo here. I'm going with the Angels. Get the f- uh, okay. I said we wouldn't explain it. <laughs> explain yourself. That is a that is a brutal brutal pick. Well, I'm all I'm saying. All I'm saying is that it's this long overdue. For Otani and Trout to have a shot at October. I don't know what it is. I, I honestly don't know what it is because rationally everything is saying that this is they're gonna be fucking shit. Like it's gonna fall off a cliff. But this part of the season, there's seven and a half games back of the Rangers, who have been insanely hot. I don't know. Maybe they have a chance. <laughs> Man, look, you come in here with the Angels as your pick. Look, those guys have won four. They have won four straight games, and all of a sudden, like, think about it this way: the Mariners, the Mariners who are below five hundred, could have won four straight games, and they would be ahead of the Angels right now. But David, they didn't. David. So I don't want to hear they it. They didn't. Yeah, I, don't I, get, hear it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Look, this is this is what's gonna happen. This is what's going to happen, Mike, and this is going to be something we follow right up until the trade deadline, is the Angels are going to be in the same position as the Vancouver Canucks in that purgatory state (laughs) where they don't know if they can trade Shohei Otani at the deadline, and he's walking in the offseason, and they're going to walk him right to free agency. See you later. The package that you could get for Shohei Otani at the deadline is... It should it should be the best trade deadline package we have ever seen, right? Like, like that has to be the most assets, the most prime assets that any team is going to give up. To be able to add Shohei Otani to your team down the stretch run and into the playoffs, that is a once-in-a-lifetime, quite literally, opportunity to trade for Shohei Otani and add him to your lineup... And your fucking pitching rotation. Like, this is a unicorn of a player, quite literally. The Angels are going to be in that position where they have to decide what they're going to do. And I bet you, I bet you, they listen to this podcast and hear, you know what, Mike Lou believes in us? And we're only we're only four games back of the Astros at the deadline. Fuck it, let's keep them. Let's put butts in the seats down the stretch. And they're going to hamstring this organization even further down the line. And then they're probably going to sell. Uh, okay, and and Otani walks and signs with the Red Sox. Great, worst timeline. <laughs> literally, uh, literally worst timeline. Um, I, I don't know. I I, I don't know. So, you know what? A- Angels hype train. Uh, top. Yeah, nothing else to say about it. <laughs> 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, Braves out in NL East. Uh, yes. That's straight up for me. Brewers in NL Central. I think that the Diamondbacks could hold on to the NL West. No way. What? Okay. Okay. Again, <laughs> I feel like you're just picking the hottest teams. Like these guys are eight and two in their last ten. What? What? Hey, what are you hey. basing this off of? Well. This is all. This is all gut instinct, and the fact that I know the Dodgers will probably putt the regular season uh, for a wild card spot. <laughs> they've done it. They've done it no. in the past. No man, there's they're, no they're gonna way. Add, they, they're going to add, and it's not going to click. But they're always going to do enough to get into the wild card, and they're just going to demolish their way through the wild card off. That's fair. I, I, you know what? I like this take all of a sudden because you just like, spelled it out <laughs> right? pretty freaking well. Like. You know, they've got uh, Julio Arias on the IL. Noah Syndergaard hasn't been himself, and he goes to the IL today. Yep. Like, that ain't good, man. It's not good. It's not good in L.A. right now. They drop a series (laughs) to the Cincinnati Reds. As much as we talk about the Ella De La Cruz hype train, it's also the fact that the Dodgers just lost a series to the Cincinnati Reds. Like, that that should be front-page news. (laughs) Brutal. Yeah, so... Yeah, I like your take. I, I do. I do like the take now. There we go. All right. I think that's it. I think that's it for episode one. And this was a fun one. I, I tried to prematurely close it. My mistake. But this was a fun one. And it was a good one. And I, I don't know if we're going to be back uh, next week for just one episode. I think we might do two. So, folks, if you liked the podcast, please make sure you like You subscribe. You give us some feedback. Reach out to us on Twitter. Go find us. We, uh... We're going to have some fun with this. It's going to be fun. The first episode was great. I had a lot of fun, Mike. I'm looking forward to this and seeing where this goes. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us, listeners. Uh, It was a fun episode. I think I said that about six times, so we'll close it out there. For my co-host, Mike Liu, my name's Dave Gugelli. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of The Batter's Box.